Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm the presenter of Talking Design. And I'm here with an architect called Rodney Eggleston, who's really, well, he's been around for a few years, but um, he's done some quite extraordinary things in a very short time. And people have really noticed his work, and it was interesting. Um, I'll probably embarrass Rodney, but um, a leading um, London architect came to Melbourne for a, um, a major conference, and she was asked, you know, what do you think of Melbourne architecture? Anyway, uh, I think the audience was expecting her to rattle off all these um, buildings that they loved, and she said, look, really, the only thing that's really come to my mind is um, the Aesop store in Flinders Lane, which, and the audience was completely silenced. And it's interesting because Rodney didn't know that, and I told him <laughs> later, but I think that's the effect some of Rodney's work has had on people both here and uh, overseas. So welcome, Rodney, to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me. You're an interesting practice. Your co-director and life and business partner is Anne Law Cavigno, yep. a graphic designer. That's right. Tell me a little bit about your background for people who don't know about March Studio. Um, well, March was, we started in 2007 um, after having a, an earlier company with some other directors, a company called Diatribe. Um, I met Anne Law in Rotterdam when I was working for Rem Coolhouse. Anne Law was there working for a graphic design agency called Animal. And we became roommates, and then uh, I managed to convince her to come to Australia. We set up March Studio uh, on a wing and a prayer, really. We had one job, which uh, is the house job that you know of. In central Victoria. In central Victoria, uh, which, which kept us sort of afloat um, for the first year or so. And then one thing led to another by circumstances, you know, really that were out of our control where we started getting um, a lot of work. And I think just the act of being out there and, and, and opening a door and saying we're, we're here to, to work um, sort of began the whole, the whole ordeal. So, Rodney, maybe tell me a little bit about that house in central Victoria. Sure. Was it is the publicity you got from it? I mean, it won an award. It did win an award. Look, it, it, I mean, we spent the first four four or five years of our, of our business life on that project. So it was a labour of love. Um, and what was unique about it? Um, it was it was an exceptional client, um, uh, which really made made the difference um, for the the project. For the people who don't know, it is is called Brent Knoll. Um, it can be found uh, online um, and on our website. But effectively, what it is is it's an investigation of of an annex house to an old eighteen fifties homestead. Uh, the house traverses, it weaves and ducks and does all sorts of um, geometric sort of um, gymnastics to get around uh, quite an incredible site, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the resultant spaces of those sort of folded um, movements that are made by this, this copper-clad building um, create some pretty interesting spaces, I think, and people warmed to those. And, Rodney, I think... That house in particular made your mark that you were very keen on using recycled materials. The kitchen, mm-hmm. for example, was recycled. Uh, antique um, advertising plates, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a big part of that house was to do something um, with some of the Victorian motifs. You know, it's a very modern house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a glass box at one end, 
but there was there was a deliberate attempt to soften it with some Victorian motifs. So we used pressed metal on the ceiling. Uh, the pressed metal is used in its in its absolute raw state, so it's not painted. It's left as as shiny aluminium, um, which also then became a bit of a light feature. So we had up lights hitting the ceiling rather than having dreaded down lights everywhere. Um, and again, the antique panels where it's, I mean, it's not so much about sustainability for us, but rather reuse and looking for different ways of, of using interesting materials. We're, we're not really interested in, you know, green and six star So it's more uh, a bit like, um, Susie Stanford, the furniture designer and people like Yoast, mm. more about upcycling, which is a word that yeah. I use quite a lot, you know, taking things that are kind of thrown out and reworking them. Yeah, I, I mean, they don't even necessarily need to be discarded materials. A lot of our work will investigate um, a material. Um, so we've built projects from uh, 30 kilometres of, of yellow trace before. Now we, we of yellow? Yellow trace, um, tracing paper. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, there's an ESOP store in Singapore that has, I think, 40 kilometres of string. So these materials, they're not, they're not found all the time. They're just not that valuable. They're just not, they, they might not be that valuable and they might be easily accessible and they're an opportunity to do something with a material that I guess hasn't been explored in that manner before. So if we go back to the Aesop store, mm -hmm. it sounds a bit like an ad for an Aesop. Mm. Um, if we go back to the Aesop store in Flinders Lane, yes. the one that Catherine Levant, she mm. was actually the architect. Amanda, Amanda, Amanda Levite. Am Amanda Levite, mm. sorry. Amanda Levite. Yep. I'll have to correct that. <laughs> Amanda Levite, um, uh, ex-Future Systems. Yes. Um, that, that store really became quite a significant project for you. Mm, that was fantastic. For those who can't see it, it was it's basically a very small store in Flinders Lane and it's filled with hundreds of cardboard boxes. Thousands. Thousands. I think there's 4,000 cardboard boxes in there. Um, it, I mean, it was... Which became shelves and counters and That's whatever. right, that's right. I mean, the, the whole ESOP chapter began with that store, as you mentioned. It received a lot of um, curiosity, I think. Um, we were lucky enough to be housed next door to Aesop's old headquarters and by virtue of um, smoking cigarettes out the front and talking to the warehouse guy, uh, we ended up, Anlaw actually ended up becoming the in-house graphic designer for, for a time there. Uh, and then we got invited to do the North Melbourne store and subsequently after that the Flinders Lane store. And the Flinders Lane store was really, uh, I think we had five weeks to design and build it they just secured the lease of the space um, six weeks before Christmas or seven weeks before Christmas. And the idea was to do something extremely quickly, um, uh, something that, that wouldn't cost a lot of money because uh, the plan was always to then um, take it out and do a proper install after the Christmas rush. And for us, it was it was fantastic uh, to explore cardboard. We'd we'd done a couple of projects in cardboard before, where we'd built one-to-one uh, -one houses from cardboard, so we knew the material quite well, and we knew we could get access to uh, the the boxes, the shipper boxes that. And when it was all done, Rodney, the client, mm -hmm. uh, Dennis. Pafitas. Pafitas. Yep. What was his reaction? I mean, obviously he saw it and it wasn't going to be a pop-up store. It was going to be something yeah. more permanent. I think I he was... I hope he was pleasantly surprised. It, it it certainly has become more permanent. And the cardboard is, is quite durable. I mean, we've been there once to replace a couple of boxes that have had some oils spilt on them. But um, 
it is it is kind of durable and it makes us think a lot about shop fitting um, particularly in retail a lot of it is cardboard anyway to a certain extent you know it's all mdf it's all reconstituted sort of timbers glued together um, so for us it's not too dissimilar to to a lot of other sh- uh, fit outs the difference being that that when they do leave because every retail environment is temporary anyway it's yeah. just 5 10 15 yeah. years um, when they do leave um, the whole thing can be folded up and put into a recycling bin which we like so you've started with a number now you've done several ESOP stores yep. you've done um one in Paris. We've been lucky enough here. Yeah, Rue Saint Honoré. Yep, that's right. Um, tell me about that one. Uh, Saint Honoré is um, uh, again. It's an investigation of a number of items. Uh, this one was was pieces of timber, blocks of timber, um, and it led off from an investigation that we did uh, a sculpture at RMIT, which was basically um, a room for the shelter exhibition down there. Uh, which was a room created from, I think we had 20 tonne of stacked um, timber that was hollowed out in the centre to create a, um, a space within. And Dennis saw this and he liked this, and, and so we, we sort of proposed something similar for the, for the store in, in Paris, and it's an inverted version of that. So the stacked timber basically becomes shelving for... Uh, the product. You actually studied at RMIT? Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice um, connection. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was great to come home. <laughs> the, um, you're also doing a really exciting store at the moment for Demir Demar, one of the world's leading fashion designers. Yes. And I happened to be in Paris visiting, doing a story on Demir. Wonderful. And I said to him... Um, <laughs> So, which architect are you using? Thinking he'd he'd give me a list of all these someone decent, or impressive <laughs> European architects. And when he mentioned your name, I nearly fell off my chair. And I just said, "Why would you use someone on the other side of the world yeah. when there's so you're surrounded by architects in Paris?" I wasn't trying to do you, you out of a job. Have, yeah, and he Stephen. just he just said, "Oh, look, Rodney's very easy to work with. I've seen his work. I love what he does." And it doesn't seem to be a barrier, the distance thing. So obviously it does work. That's probably the nicest thing a client's ever said. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think... I think these days you can sit at a cafe with a phone and an email um, the other side of the world in, in half a second. I don't think it's a big barrier. We obviously have a collaboration with a, French, a local French architect there who deals with the local authorities and gets the project um, yeah. built. And we then have the pleasure of flying in and out and seeing progress and yeah. changing things here and there. But um, Now, this will open June? Uh, June, July? Yeah, end of May, early June, I'd say. June. So, and how do you work with someone like Demir? Because he's got a very specific vision. He does. And I think that we're, we're resilient as, as, as architects. We're not... We're not we don't like to be too precious. Um, we like to really look at a client and try and uncover the interesting parts of what they're doing. Um, so in, in, in every case, we, we, might, we may do two or three designs before we hit the mark. And the first, I think we did two or three or four designs for Demir, were, were not hitting the mark. And the act of doing those designs... Uh, really means that you get a better understanding of what not to do and what the client is, you know, wanting you to do. How does it relate, without giving too much away, because it would be nice when people just end up going to Paris. Mm-hmm. What's the address of the store? Uh, I couldn't tell you. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, 
What's the what will you know? How how does it relate to his clothing? Well, in his clothing is very specific. Yeah, and that's really where uh, the thread that we began to unravel was that Demir has this great ability to use materials um, uh, quite rawly and and uh, quite texturally. So I think that's why he was drawn to our work as well because it is there's nothing pretentious about the way that we use materials. Um, and they're often used in a manner that um, that exaggerates the material's quality. So, for example, string is hung or yellow trace has a light behind it because it can glow or timber is stacked because they're blocks. Um, so these sorts of qualities, I think, Demir embodies in his own work. Um, and so the store has begun, a bit became an investigation with... Um, uh, with a range of materials, with a sort of simple palette, some materials we would never use uh, in our life, like marble, um, and we have had the luxury to use those materials in in ways that I guess you wouldn't traditionally use them. How did he first find you? Um, was it just through? Was it an Aesop store in Paris? Yeah, he he went into the Aesop store in in Saint Honoré, and I think he was he, he sort of started thinking about it then, but. Um, these things usually happen in three or fours, and I think his his um, business partner had also seen some work, and it sort of started filtering through to him. Um, there was another architect in France that um, we've worked with before who mentioned our name. So um, I don't know exactly how it, it fed down to him, but um, yeah, these things usually they're not just an immediate. You walk into a store and go, oh, "This is my guy." It's sort of it usually filters through. Yeah, filters through. So we've been lucky enough to get press on on a number of fronts, you know, yeah. particularly the Aesop stores, which have begun to seep into people's psyche a bit. There's a new store that um, everyone kept talking about mm-hmm. um, and are still talking about mm-hmm. the new bakery yeah. in uh, Carlton. In Faraday Street, in that's Faraday right. Faraday Street, yep. called uh, Baker de Chirico. Yeah, that's correct. I, I even saw the other day a couple of... Um, uh, Sydney siders taking photos. Oh, that's good. They were so they were so <laughs> excited, and they said, "Look, we don't see this type of thing mm. in Sydney." Tell me a little bit about how that evolved. Um, well, the bakery was was an amazing uh, opportunity to work with uh, Daniel Chirico, who uh, has been we've been long admiring his bread. Um, the only problem being that his his only shop was in St Kilda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel is an artisan baker, and he just does an amazing product. Um, so when we met him, he he charmed us with a, a mushroom brioche, and uh, we started talking about a, a collaboration to build this space. And I think that that's really what sets this project apart for me is that it's a baker and an architect working closely together to achieve a common goal. Um, the project itself is uh, conceived simply as as a large woven bread basket. Uh, we looked at the process of baking. Um, we learnt, you know, quite, we were told quite quickly that, uh, to, to cool the bread, it's best to have it on a timber surface. Um, and the timber has to be somewhat porous and, and allow, uh, movement of air around it. Um, and so the logical approach for us was to ex- investigate that and, um, and carry it throughout the store to create one over all encompassing environment. What's interesting about the fit out, um, Rodney, is even though it looks like it's been handcrafted, mm-hmm. a bit like the artisan bread, mm-hmm. it's actually all done through 
computers. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we mix it up from models to computers to um, to the drawings, obviously, to get a, a sense of uh, tactile quality to it. Um, but uh, the, the people who work at March are incredibly incredibly talented. Sam Rice, who worked on that project, uh, you know, a lot. Um, did an amazing job of translating it from the computer to the reality. Um, and I think a lot of projects are going that way these days where we can hand over computer files, um, directly to the builder and they can, they can cut the project out and sort of print it one to one, so to speak. Um, which is fantastic for us because it gives us more control and, um, less headaches down the line. In terms of, how you tend to generate your ideas to start with. I mean, obviously, there's you know the client discussion, um, but and law. You know, how does it how does it work between the two of you? Do you kind of bounce ideas off each other, or is it you know you tend to specialise in certain areas and then your partner tends to look at things in different areas? I mean, yeah, it's it... it's I mean it's always, it's an interesting question because everyone always asks how a graphic designer can be involved oh, no, in an no. architecture yeah. company. Um, I mean, it's a combination of, of everything you mentioned and more. Um, Anne Laura, I'm not sure if you've met her, is, is an amazing sort of vivacious French woman full of character and, um, she has a great imagination and a lot of that imagination feeds through to the projects in the early stages. Um, so a project would typically begin with an argument, um, a glass of red wine and we would thrash out a concept together. Um, which would then become implemented and Anla would, you know, often put the finishing touches into the project, uh, really using her eye to, to sort of finish the project off. And you also work with Fabian Garato That's right. on that project. So that was another design practice coming in yeah. and, and helping something evolve. That's right, that's right. Fabio did all the uh, the graphic identity and the bags um, for the project and... Um, He's a great guy, and I think he was lucky. He was the one who actually recommended us to Daniel, so I'm indebted to Fabio. <laughs> what, um, Rodney, what gives you the most pleasure about the work that you're doing, generally? What, um, I guess... Do you like the finished result, or is it the process, or is it just the idea stewing over in, in your mind? I, I, I don't... Th- I don't know if I've had the time yet to have the ability luxury. to... Ref- the luxury, exactly, <laughs> to reflect on any of it. Um, it's been pretty rapid. I think we've done 30 projects in uh, four years. Which or, is amazing. Which is a lot, yeah. Um, I mean, mind you, some of them are, uh, uh, would be you know $5,000 fit-outs, but yeah. um, I think the pace is something that, that interests well, especially me. Especially retail has to be quick that's, and punchy. Yeah. Too that's much right. riding on it. Yeah. It's not like a, a house where people tend to expect that's it, that's six it. months to a year at least. Mm. And I guess the, the the thing I love the most is the luxury to have the houses which tick over, you know, take a year, a year and a half, two years. Um, but then also the rapid retail art projects which are sort of being thrown out of the office every couple of months. And so that balance for me is really what um, what I find yeah. the most interesting. What I've noticed probably over the last few years, and it's not, is that it's not a new thing. I mean, I just think people are looking for that very handcrafted mm. look to a project, even if it's done, generated by a computer, yeah. that very hand tactile quality, and that's something that you're very strong at. Is it just right timing, or or there's a lot of, you know, it's not just a matter of giving, you know, there's an art to doing that, mm. crafted quality, quality, it's not just... 
Yeah, I think architects went away from that idea that they could design, you know, the baths, the, the tower rails, and they could design a chair, and they became specifiers to a certain extent, um, with enormous uh, libraries full of building materials, and they lost somewhere along the way the ability to be able to not only know how something goes together, but turn around to someone and draw it up and say, well, this is what exactly what we're building and how we're building it. Um, and I think, I mean, we pride ourselves on, on, um, I guess, custom designing those sorts of those fittings. And I think they're the things that give it the handmade quality because someone's actually sat down and considered the right, um, you know, toilet roll holder for the space because it's become part of the architecture and part of the, the aperture of the building. Um, and I think that's probably why we're, we're getting, we we don't do sort of you know over the over the top sort of design, but people look at it and there's something there that that sort of resonates through the project. Well, I think there is something there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I definitely think. <laughs> As I just blow in. my own trumpet. No, but I um, I think there's something there because it's not just me. I mean, people literally do stop, and uh, and word gets out very quickly. Mm. Uh, you know, irrespective of what newspapers or magazines say. You know, there's the, that little bars. Oh, have you seen this? Mm-mm. And then you you walk along, you go, oh. Amazing, mm. and I think that's the that's the appeal of architecture is that when it hits, when it is unveiled, people start to gravitate, mm. and that's when you get that feedback. But, yeah. um, look, well done, Rodney. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure looking at your work. Thank you, and, Stephen. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more of Rodney Eagleston and Anne Laurie Cavignot from March Studio in uh, in the near and distant future. I hope so. So thanks so much for coming in to uh, speaking with me today at Talking Design. Thanks, Rodney. Thanks, Stephen.